Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Matthew 6, verse 16 through 18. We jumped out of Hebrews last week and this week, so one more week, uh, and then we'll be um, uh, back very soon. But uh, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by uh, may not be seen by others, but your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I figured I should probably take like a little break of making fun of my family because uh, I've added examples of them each week. So I, I figured I'd rotate to me. Uh, my first go at fasting was well not exactly thought out uh, or biblical, and because of that, probably not real. Uh, I was. Uh, in Iowa many, many years ago, and I basically got recruited. Some friends were doing a fast. They were excited. I got recruited uh, to jump into uh, their fast. I didn't understand uh, what I was doing and what it really was for that matter, and that wasn't the other people's fault. I was just a bit kind of clueless over fasting. In my mind, fasting was uh, not eating, uh, really in order to kind of earn something or or get something. I probably wouldn't have said it that way back then, but fasting to me was almost like an action of penance. Uh, You're you're proving yourself to God in some way. If you need help, like if there's a serious issue, maybe you turn to fasting. If it's an emergency, maybe you would turn to fasting. If you'd really messed up and you wanted to prove that you were sorry or maybe serious this time, maybe you would turn to fasting. Or maybe if you'd just been super lazy and apathetic for a while, you would turn to fasting as a way to go, hey, I'm, I'm I'm serious this time. I, I really want to change. All of my perceived uh, motivations for fasting were, were need-based or uh, probably guilt-based. They carried with them a sentiment of earning or proving or working in uh, some way. I, I didn't have a perspective that fasting could actually be something much more beautiful and, and, and much more of a, a life-giving gift at that point. So considering my obvious uh, uh, view of fasting that wasn't so great at that time, I made the really solid plan to do my first fast by going to the grocery store and stocking up on chocolate milk and orange juice. That was how I was going to roll into my fast. Well, it's true that wasn't physical food that you chew. Uh, the caloric properties do the exact same thing as food. They do not deprive uh, your flesh. The, the reality is I, I turned to drinking my calories instead of eating them. It was the exact same thing as food. So I roughed it for the Lord while drinking dessert all day long, doing something for Jesus. By the end of the day, I surely drank more calories than I would have ate on a regular day. But in my mind, I was, I was doing it. Look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm being holy. I'm, I'm doing it for the Lord. And I can kind of joke about it a little bit now, but uh, barely. I'm still a little bit embarrassed over my, my cluelessness of what fasting entailed uh, back then. I still have some kind of embarrassment over it or uh, not understanding why a person would uh, do it. And at that point, my misunderstanding on fasting, I wouldn't say that that pushed into a sin issue. It, it was just a wisdom issue. Like, homeboy just didn't know any better. 
Uh, so there, there seems to be a prevailing thought in culture that faith is uh, pretty individualized uh, to where aspects of it boil down to uh, what things mean to you personally. If that were true, my view of fasting and chugging chocolate milk would have been all good if I felt it was all good. But that's, that's not really how it works. Like We don't get to set the terms. The reality when we look over the word of God is fasting has existed as a gift for the church for ages and ages and ages. And, and the reason for it and the metrics of it and the system of it, that's also existed for ages ages and ages and ages. Because of that, we want to kind of take a look in concert with our teaching on prayer uh, to keep the shepherding hat on, the the teaching hat on, uh, one more week to equip us over fasting. I don't want you to think that you are fasting while chugging chocolate milk like I did. It's not a smart idea. And I also don't want uh, to necessarily guilt you into fasting either, but I do want to connect fasting with prayer uh, because Jesus did. If we back up to remember uh, the context of the the Lord's Prayer, that was the the section of Scripture that we tossed last week, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, will you teach us how to pray? John taught his disciples how to pray. We don't really know what we're doing. Can you kind of help us out? And and Jesus does. His teaching for them to learn how to pray was the, the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That was the lesson. The often recited words were actually the teaching over uh, prayer. Then right after that, the next thing that Jesus flows into, I'm, I'm going to teach you how to pray, and immediately he segues into fasting, which means that we should step back and maybe ask a question here. Was Jesus intentional here? Uh, was there a reason that he moved into fasting right after prayer? And to answer that, we can kind of zoom out from the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is only a small subsection of a greater section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, which is found all the way from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. It spans three entire chapters. And the whole of the Sermon on the Mount deals with the life of a believer, specifically how the gospel will change their life. If you haven't read those three chapters, it won't take you very long. Go dig through it. It it is beautiful. How the gospel of Jesus will change the life of a believer. The opening of the sermon, chapter 5, the first part of it, uh, speaks to the heart and the morality of the believer. How the gospel of Jesus will change you internally. And then chapter 6 shifts into dealing with things like piety and personal discipline of a believer. So the progression isn't random. It's extremely intentional and helpful. The flow teaches us that the same gospel that we declare that we believe in if we are followers of Jesus should affect greatly our inner life, our heart, and, and the things inside of us. But then that doesn't stay there. Then it goes into the things that we do outside of us, our will and our actions uh, and, and the things that we do in our day-to-day habits. This is where Jesus taught about things like giving to the poor and praying and fasting and realizing that you shouldn't be storing up all of your treasures on earth. Store them up in heaven. What happens inside then flows into the actions that you have outside. If we follow that progression where Jesus in chapter 6 is teaching about ways that the gospel should change your habits, the actual things that we do, uh, and we pair that wording uh, that he uses or chooses in the text, he says, and when you fast, just like he said, and when you pray. The understanding is that prayer and fasting are, are both kind of expected or assumed changes that will come if the gospel has changed you. And and thinking about it, I said before that prayer was kind of commanded, and it is, but I don't, I don't know that, that fasting is commanded. Uh, it, it's just assumed. And the reason is it's a useful, beautiful, and powerful tool that's a gift for you and me, 
Uh, it's not meant to be something that you're forced into against your will. To not do it isn't so much a disobedience issue as is probably a, a wisdom issue. And I don't, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. Like I already showed my cards. I didn't know what it was at one point. Um, but it's not that certain people are too dumb to know that they should fast. It's more that some people haven't experienced the beauty of what fasting is to unlock it and go, I want to do that. That's amazing. Right, which places us right back where we were uh, the other week. The, the benefit and the power of fasting has kind of gotten lost in our day. If, if a non-believer, right, not inside the church context, if your neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus or your coworker or, or one of your friends, if they figure out that you are uh, fasting, they're going to think you're nuts. Right? They'll possibly associate you with some sort of cult or fanaticism, ask you where you hide in the snakes, do you like Kool-Aid? They're going to they're gonna assume that you're probably way out there because nothing seems uh, as repulsive to the natural mind as fasting in our culture now. It seems crazy. Kevin Springer says this, we live in a consumer-oriented society that bombards us with the message of instant gratification. You can have it all go for the gusto, have it your way, and have it now. To this mindset, fasting does not make any sense at all. Why, why would you do that? See, we can push that even further or deeper when we look at culture's kind of current ethos, the thing that happens out there, the thing that we see in culture. The ethos of our day has to do with the elimination of, of prohibitions or laws or limitations. And it states that any rule or belief or religion or law that limits a person's personal choice is wrong, evil, archaic, abusive, repressive, insert any of the language that you want to in right there. The idea is that personal happiness can be found through personal autonomy and that a flourishing life is one that has no limitations and no grounding elements. So if anyone places a limitation on you personally of any kind whatsoever, they are there waging war against your your happiness or your your flourishing. Like we we see that when we look around, right? Hopefully you see that. Now, this comes from the mindset that the chasing of the desires that you have is where your actual joy will come from. That the chasing of the, uh, of the flesh, the things that your body wants, is the key to, to thriving. If this is the cultural mandate, chase whatever your body wants, if that's the water that we're swimming in today, then fasting seems to, to be more than just weird. It seems to be unhinged. Why would you do that? You're sabotaging your, your own happiness, your own joy, your own flourishing, because fasting does the exact opposite of the, what the world tells you to. Fasting limits what the body wants on purpose through self-denial, and the mechanism of this fasting and this limiting of what the body wants through self-denial is food. It's an easy way. My body, I love some tacos. My body wants food. I limit the food, and through that self-denial, I will feel it, and there's some beauty that happens there. Here's the basic idea. In a world used to feeding its desires, in a world programming to giving its, its flesh, its body what it wants, fasting holds back what the body wants to get something far greater. And, and that's the key that I didn't understand when I was chugging chocolate milk. This is the, the, the key to fasting. It doesn't take from you. It gives you. And it gives you something way better than you would have gotten without it, which can be kind of hard to wrap our mind around. I completely realize that. You mean I'm going to be starving and like super happy about it? Kind of. 
kind of, you're going to get something better. But, but this helps us understand why Jesus didn't need uh, to, to make this a command that you would fast. Why would Jesus command you to do something that's, that's a, a, an incredible blessing to you? Why would he have to demand that you pick up this gift that, that he gave you? What we may realize is that we largely have the wrong perception of fasting, and that wrong perception of it makes us do some pretty weird things with it. So Jesus addresses it to help believers view fasting rightly. So we talked about, okay, the world's going to think you're unhinged, but, but what about in here? What, what does the church historically think of fasting? We often assume or associate fasting with the loss of something. And we put it in this bracket of a, of a large sacrifice. It's a, it's a big deal. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a huge thing because we've been taught that fasting um, takes away from us. Uh, we then assume people who, who do this, who do this large overt thing, and they're, and they're, and, and they're making this large sacrifice, and they're, and they're proving their devotion. We end up connecting some dots sometimes. We end up believing that those people who do fasting are probably a little bit more devout sometimes. It's easy to see that action like, ooh, oh, wow, they're, they're, they're more holy, they're more spiritual, they're more de- devoted. And then we put some sort of elevated status on them or respect on them because we see them kind of giving up something uh, that, that we maybe wouldn't be uh, willing to give up ourselves. So they become maybe a varsity believer, a, a better believer, a stronger believer. If that is true, that we often can uh, kind of see fasting through a faulty lens and through that faulty lens kind of elevate people who do it and be like, oh, man, that's, that's amazing amazing, then it would make sense why there could possibly be an inner draw in us or an inner appeal uh, to be seen this way by others. Okay, wait a second. I kind of respect the guy who fasts. He's like, wow, that's super holy and like kind of lift him up a little bit. Hey, wait, maybe if I fast, like they would do that to me. Well, that sounds like a good deal. Like, watch this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to up the way I feel about myself. I'm going to fix my identity through fasting. And this puts us back into the teaching about prayer again from last week. Some people pray not because they want to commune with God. They pray just because they love the way it makes them feel in public. They love to be seen praying. They love the accolades of being the, the quote-unquote uh, good prayer. And they love the, the, the kind of notoriety that that seems to, to, to give them. So, so what do they do when they pray if they're the quote-unquote good prayer? Well, then they're going to put a little extra sauce on, on their prayers in public spaces. They're going to throw out some big words. They're like, oh, you would never use that in a conversation. They're going to throw that out in their prayers. A little maybe extra uh, uh, emotion. And maybe they'll double down even more into this deep, artistic, other thing to get more respect out of people. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. This is not what you do. You don't try and get your rewards from people. Instead, practice prayer because of the rewards you get from your Father in heaven, and they're so much better. Which is to say, prayer isn't meaningless. Go to God and find that out. It is awesome. Go to him and see that he will give you gifts and build into you and do beautiful things that you will never get outside of prayer, just like fasting. It's not meant to be a duty. It's meant to be a gift. If there's an appeal to use prayer to get noticed by our peers uh, in the faith, then the same appeal uh, is, is the same kind of draw is going to happen in fasting, right? Probably even greater. Some will fast to get noticed uh, because they, they want people to think more of them. So they'll kind of fast, and, and they're going to make sure when they fast that they look a little bit haggard when they do it. Oh, yeah. Fasting for 
Jesus. They'll kind of pour it on, looking extra gloomy and extra worn down so that people ask him, what's wrong? Are you, are you okay? And like, oh, I'm just, I'm fine, just doing the holy work of the Lord through my, my fast. That's, I mean, that's the way I kind of look like this. Uh, so, you know, just doing the work of the Lord. And what I find interesting about this is fasting in that day was most often just a day like 24 hours. The whole process was about 24 hours, not a week. Yes, there are patterns of longer fasts, and we see them in the Bible, and some people did that, but that's actually not the norm. The regular pattern of fasting was one day, and and here's kind of the cool part. That does the trick. You will battle with your flesh and self-denial in 24 hours. I promise you, it'll get hairy quick, right? So it only takes a day. So it's kind of humorous to think of the picture that Jesus is painting in this text about not looking gloomy, saying, don't fast, wake up the next morning so that you look extra gloomy. The the point is, okay, if, if you started the fast last night, Right? You ate dinner a little bit early and you started the fast and then you woke up the next morning and didn't wash your face and look extra gloomy. Uh, he's going, um, okay, you, all you did was skip breakfast so far. So like you should chill a little bit. Like I, Jesus kind of poking fun at him. Like what are you doing? You're pouring it on. You kind of look like a fool even though you're trying to get this appeal from other people around you. It's kind of like our, our kids uh, when they want to stay home from uh, school, when they don't feel perfect but they know that they're absolutely fine to go, how they kind of pour it on. That's that fasting mentality. Oh, I'm just, just, oh, just tired, just doing the work of the, the Lord. Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Do not search for approval. Splash some water on your, fla- on your face. Clean up. Get up. And see if there's a beauty inside of fasting that doesn't come from the fickle approval of other people. But look at the argument that Jesus lays down, because this is kind of fascinating, too, in a very short section of scriptures. This is a classic, what we call lesser to, to greater argument here. He doesn't say, uh, don't fast to be seen, because if you do, I'm going to be super ticked and, and, and smite you. He doesn't say that. He says, it don't, he says, don't do it because it's a bad investment. Look at, look at the language there. Don't, don't do it because it's a bad investment. Essentially, the payoff for that is not smart. It's a weak payoff. It's a dumb trade. The reward of human approval is fickle and fleeting and temporary. But the rewards of God in heaven are the opposite of that. They're eternal. They're lasting. They're fixed. You can take them to the bank. They won't desert you. Jesus' line of reasoning is uh, don't miss the greater reward available to you. Right? We get so afraid of, of prosperity gospels that we don't actually take a hold of and lay a hold of the actual promises of blessing that we see. There's a blessing and a gift in fasting. The Lord will reward you, so do it right and see the blessings come through it. Again, this place is fasting in a realm of rewards and not punishment. Fasting one done rightly, specifically without chocolate, milk, or searching for approval, Church, it brings a literal and tangible benefit from the Lord and gift from the Lord. He will meet you there. And you will find gifts and mercy poured down from heaven on you. Now, I want to make sure that we don't kind of miss what just presented itself in the text here. The the world says the greatest reward comes from self-gratification. So don't have any limits, YOLO, have fun, do whatever you want. That's what the world says. Our inner man struggles to say that, you know, a really great reward comes from the approval of man, and yet in the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of God, Jesus just says the greatest rewards come from heaven. Go search for those. 
Go search from the, from the rewards from your father. And they can be accessed through self-denial. Like today, if you want. You ever thought, thought about that? Like, where, where do I find personal revival? And where do I find rewards from the Lord? And, and it's just a challenge. Go fast. And, and don't go post it on Facebook that you're doing it. Go fast and see if the Lord will meet you. Try me. Test me out. That still leaves us with some more questions that probably need to be answered. Specifically, what exactly is fasting and what are the rewards for it? Can we get a little bit more specific? Because when we're too vague, we can get confused. For today, the simplest definition possible is probably the best. Fasting is withhold something that your body wants, namely food, to get something better. Super simple. Withholding something that your body wants, namely food, to get something better. Sam Storms, I'm going to pour in a couple quotes for from him because I think he just has some amazing, amazing stuff about fasting. He says this, fasting is always motivated by desire. Listen, this is to say fasting is not the suppression of desire, but the intense pursuit of it. We fast because we want something more than food. That's the key right there. If one suppresses the desire for food, it's only because he or she um, has a greater and more intense desire for something more precious, something of eternal value. Though it's not good to fast in order to be seen, you don't have to hide it all the time. Okay, so I want to make that clear. You don't have to be super covert. You're just not trying to get the attention out of it. Uh, so in the context of local church, a, a real-time example seems helpful. Several started uh, fasting during Lent on Thursdays in the, the church. And it started out as just a, a, a mega DNA group, and then a whole bunch of other people were doing it. And they'd eat dinner early on Wednesday, and then they'd fast all the way through and break it later on Thursday. They suppressed their desire for food in order to pursue their desire for God and prayer and personal revival in its place. These fasts were not about losing desires or lessening desires. That was not the reason. They were the culmination of a growing desire for personal renewal and corporate renewal. The substance was several said, Jesus, I want you more than anything else. I'm tired of playing this game. I want you, and I'm going to do something different and a little bit aggressive and something the world will think is crazy. I'm going to lean into self-denial because I want you more than that other stuff. It's not that my desire is weak. My desire is strong. Just my desire for you is strong. I want an awakened heart, a revived spirit. I, I, I want revival. I want renewal. I want to know you. I want to, to see you, Lord. So I'm going to cut out food in a way to hyper-focus on you. I'm going to weaken the flesh and its desires to empower the spirit and its desires and the gifts of the Lord. Now here's a crude exam or examination or explanation of how it works. We humans are flesh and spirit. Okay? We aren't just flesh and we aren't just spirit. We are both of these uh, together. This cannot be I ignored. An atheistic worldview uh, would say, hey, we're, we're just flesh, we're just matter, we're just atoms, we're just cells, we're creatures of chance made from random molecules, there's no creator, there's no eternal nature, there's no soul for that matter, just flesh, that's it. In some Eastern religions, they kind of fly the other way to think that we're just spirit, that the flesh is almost an illusion or a thing to be escaped out of, they treat it as evil, the spirit is the only thing that counts, we reject both of those, and land in the side of both. We are embodied souls. 
I think COVID taught us that. When we, when we tried to pretend that we were in person with people over a screen, you're like, but my flesh isn't there. We're embodied souls. We're both. We're not one. We're the, uh, we are both. We are flesh and spirit. Both of those are parts of our humanity, and both of those parts of our humanity need to be paid attention to. If you only pay attention to one, you're going to get into a weird spot. So in the category of flesh, we have our physical bodies, an overreaction of the Christian who doesn't pay attention to the flesh, doesn't care anything about what they do with their body. Our physical body is part of it, but then we also have our physical desires. And our physical desires, they pull on us constantly. They're always in front of us. They're always trying to lead us. Uh, They're they're kind of trying to bait us quite often. And in our fast-paced world, focused on immediate gratification, we can easily get ruled by and led by this part of our humanity. What we want, what we feel, what our, our, our bodies want. So much so that the spirit can seem to fade into the background where it's just silence. The things of the Spirit, as the Bible calls it, can kind of get drowned out by all the things that we chase and the fast pace of the world, by the constant noise of the world that pulls on our flesh. You still with me? The lost you? Okay. The lights are too bright to see if you're nodding or not, so I'm assuming that you said yes. When we fast, we're, we're turning that system upside down in the moment. When we withhold food, we starve and we weaken the flesh part of our humanity on purpose so that all the, 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 the noise and the pull of the flesh may become weakened and so that the things of the spirit can be turned up and kind of amplified and strengthened. This is why we said fasting isn't about the lessening of a desire, it's about the strengthening of it. At this point where, where you desire the things of the, the Lord more, the leading of the Spirit more, the hope and peace that comes from God more, a clear picture of his promises, and, and you become hungry for him and his will and his presence and, and all of those things of the Lord. I want this more. The noise in my desires, they're, they're, they're so loud and they're screaming and they're all I can hear and they're all I can pursue. I don't want any of that. What do I do? You can fast. And it turns up the things of the spirit and begins to quiet the things of the flesh. Fasting is a great tool when we get here. It lowers our flesh's input and control over us and gives us a chance to walk in the things of, the gifts of, and the fruit of the spirit. Sam Storms, again, said this, Thus we might reasonably say, and I love this, that fasting is feasting. The ironic thing about fasting is that it really isn't about not eating food. It's about feeding on the fullness of every divine blessing secured for us in Christ. Hear this line. We've experienced it as true. Fasting tenderizes our hearts to experience the presence of God. You can take that one to the bank. It expands the capacity of our souls to hear his voice and be assured of his love and be filled with the fullness of his joy. There comes a point where we can kind of get a little frustrated and the heart says, enough, enough. My flesh is, uh, it, it, it's taken over. Uh, man, I don't know, uh, enough. I want you, God. I want to see you. I want to feel you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to sense your presence. And you promised the spirit, the, the, the paraclete would, would be with me and guide me. And I want to walk in that. I want to be led by you. I want to sense you. I want to know you. So a person goes to war by not going to the table. When a person says, Jesus, I've tasted and seen that you are better, I want a fuller experience of your presence and your work in my life more regularly, that person can start taking on fasting as a regular routine or rhythm 
so that they can begin to feast spiritually more often. You catch in the line of reasoning, you limit your feasting on food so that you can feast spiritually. As several of us have taken over on fasting over Lent, and, and I just say it was an encouraging, cool thing. It just started with a couple people, and we found it as, as really great. I can, I can say with certainty what, what Sam Storm said was true. Fasting will tenderize your heart and prepare it. It will prepare you to experience the things of God, the presence of God, and, and that is the reward. And a lot of people like, where's the, where's the gold at the end of the rainbow? A tenderized heart that can meet with a God is the reward. You'll find nothing better. It is far greater than, than some physical whim that you would chase after, and then, it, and then it'll, it'll be gone. And it's better than the, the fickle approval of men. Another experience during fasting that can be amazing, and forgive me because I, I don't know if I'll explain this very well, but it can create the feeling of almost slowing down time in your heart in a good way. We rush too fast. Task to task, thing to thing, meeting to meeting, job to job. We're going so fast that our hearts often do not get to experience real peace. We run at a pace that is more conducive to anxiety than peace, and we just need to own that. The pace that we run is conducive to be hyper alert and anxious and scared all the time. When we fast and we seek the Lord in our day while fasting, it tends to slow down the noise and the chaos around us. It tends to kind of allow us to to marinate on God and slow down the distractions, kind of push away towards this beauty of connecting with the Lord. And this is an extremely good thing as time just slows down in a beautiful way. I just get to sit with you. And I'm glad. I'm not thinking of the 18 other things. You're good. And I sense your mercies and your kindness and your faithfulness just pushes the other things away. Now, that doesn't mean that when we fast that, that we don't have to work or do anything else. There, there's sometimes when taking on fast where, where I've done this too. You're like, let's look for the calendar. I need to find the perfect day. Just, just do it. You don't need to plan eight weeks ahead for when you fast. Remember, it's, 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 it's a 24-hour thing. We do spend some time in prayer while we are fasting, and we most certainly spend time in the Word when we are fasting as well. Right? This is the, the feasting on God. We replace the, the taking in food with the on-purpose intentional taking in of the, the Lord through the means of grace and connecting with Him through the Word and through prayer. And in that routine... God seems to meet us there in profound ways. Again, I just don't guilt trip you, but just say, try it. Try it and see if he doesn't meet you and see if your heart doesn't find kind of some profound peace and joy there. That means something, though, if we fast and we spend no time seeking the Lord, right? We just, you know, I'm just going to do the thing, but I end up really busy. There's no prayer. There's no seeking the Lord. Then you dieted. You didn't fast. Right, you just withheld food f- for a, a little bit of time. That, that practice, it may be good for the gut line, but it has nothing to do with your spiritual walk. And there is no blessing from God in that place. Though we don't have to do extraordinary, over-the-top seeking and all of this, where i got to pencil out eight hours to, to, to seek and pray, you know, that's not what you, you need to do. We do need to set our eyes upon the Lord as we fast in some ways. When you're normally eating, you seek the Lord instead. 
We're feasting spiritually on the Lord instead of food. So I've heard some, and I'll kind of preface this a little bit. I want to try and teach and not be mean, but this will sound mean, so I'll just preface that on the front side. I've heard some say things like, I'm fasting soda, or I'm fasting Starbucks. Okay. While those may be good practices of restraint that you need to do, they're not fasting. Right? If your soda or Starbucks intake is at such a high level that they create withdrawals in you, if you crave them as much as your body craves fuel, as it, as it craves nutrients, then more likely you have an addiction that needs to be repented of instead of a thing that you can fast through. That's not fasting. It's not a matter of fasting. And I don't point that out to be harsh or mean or even legalistic. We as humans are naturally wired that we need water, we need food, and we need sleep. Those are good. Those are natural. They're wired in us. You and I need this on repeat. When one of those things are lacking, we are meant to feel it. It is meant to cause a real and physical reaction for us. Fasting is therefore an interaction with those physical needs that are wired in us. That's what it is. If we're living in such a way where specific things uh, cause this kind of withdrawal, whether it's your social media or your YouTube or your, your soda or something else, if one of those are causing that type of withdrawal symptom, biblically, that's in the category of an idol. Idols shouldn't be fasted from. They should be repented of and thrown away. We have to put things in their right place. And for, for some, like, hey, there, there can be a good part of restraint and cutting out bad habits. That's still a good and useful thing. It's just not fasting. And I want you to run into these gifts and rewards of the Lord, and you get those not through kind of playing with things that may be idols. You get those through fasting. Right? So we just want to be clear. Not trying to be mean, but this, this, is, this is what fasting is. Idols do not bring you life. Only Christ will. So we limit our food in a really short amount of time, and God meets us there. Think of the payoff in our, of things in our everyday life. What else can pay off in such a beautiful blessing in such a short amount of time? I don't know very many things. 24 hours of time. Seek after the Lord. Deny the flesh. The Lord's like, I'll meet you there, and I'll bless you there, and I'll gift you there. Sounds like a pretty good gift. And I realize that this isn't an exhaustive teaching over every angle of fasting. I didn't mean it to be. Uh, we, we just wanted to pair it with uh, the, the Lord's Prayer and teaching us to pray, and we wanted to do this week. But, but I hope uh, that if you've never been taught about fasting before, and maybe if you had some kind of not perfect views like I did of fasting many years ago, the hope is that you have a better view of it now and you understand it, you can try it. If you haven't tried it, then maybe you would and see like, man, I thought it was going to be horrible. It was awesome. Like that, that, that's the, the hope. I do want to touch on maybe a couple questions that maybe you would have or things that I've heard uh, people ask. Uh, are there things that fasting can be used for besides this feasting on God? And I would say I would probably still put them under the category of feasting on God, but there are other things that, that fasting can do and, and other reasons to use it. Uh, so, so I'd say yes, um, Fasting is an extremely powerful tool to bring about wisdom and clarity. Uh, in, in Matthew 4, we learn that Jesus himself fasted. Now, Jesus did it for a supernatural period of time in the wilderness. He went into being tempted by Satan by fasting for an extended period of time. 
What we see uh, in this is, is he fasted for a long time, went into the, the temptation. And, and if we look at this from a human perspective of, of loss and, and everything like that, you think, well, oh, man, he's going into it, busted up, and he's going into it weak. And, oh, man, that seems like dangerous. No, he went into it strong. Like the Lord sustained him. But spiritually, there was clarity and strength, and he was feasting on the Lord. He went into that in the perfect position. We're prone to think, again, that he would have been weak, but he was found clarity and wisdom and strength in the Lord by fasting and clinging to the Lord. So this kind of teaches us that fasting is a spiritual, uh, is a powerful tool uh, over moments of spiritual warfare, specifically when you need clarity or wisdom. I don't know what to do than probably drowning out the flesh a little bit to rest in the wisdom and clarity of the spirit through the presence of the Lord will probably bring you some strong clarity there. So if you find yourself in a situation needing clarity or wisdom or firepower for, for spiritual warfare, if you sense spiritual warfare and want uh, really strength from the, the Lord, fasting is a great tool and something you may try. Let me point a scripture to make sure that we solidify this as a point, not just my Opinion in Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now they were in the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Minion, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Man, they, they, they almost like sneak this in so fast that you miss it. While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. We see that worship and fasting was done by some of the people in Antioch together. And in this time where worship and fasting were were both present, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. It, It can be said that fasting became an occasion for the Spirit's guidance. Right, to, to be communicated to them. How amazing is this to hear? The, the, the link that Luke was leading us to connect is it was because they were ministering to the Lord in worship and fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke specifically to them. The Lord will meet you in your prayer and your drawing near and your fasting. He promised he would do it. Now, this doesn't mean that our fasting creates a situation where God owes us to to speak to us or he owes us to do something like over the top. Fasting isn't an action that we perform to put God in our debt or anything like that, but God does promise to be found by those who diligently seek him and by those who seek him with their whole heart, right? Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13 says that. These are the promises of the Lord. What, what are we doing? We're unhinging ourselves from the promises of the, of the world, and we're hinging ourselves and hooking ourselves to the promises of the Lord. The Lord promises to be found when you seek him. Fasting and worship are an amazingly powerful way to draw near to the Lord. I think it's a pretty, pretty good chance that he'll be found if you do. My hope is that more of us would together say, hey, that's what I want to do. I want, to, I want to seek him and find him. I want to feast on his goodness. I want to pursue the presence of the Lord uh, together. I, I want to be a people of prayer, not just in a, in a vacuum here on maybe Sunday mornings. But I want to be a people of prayer that walk in a thriving faith. And part of how we possibly do that is to learn to put in some regular routines of fasting sometimes on top of our prayer. 
It is a powerful and beautiful gift, and it's available to you if you pick it up. I realize the past two weeks have been different sermons from our normal routine. Uh, We spend the majority of our time, guys, right, in exegetical preaching, going through books of the Bible section by section, and and we're going to continue that again, but for these weeks, we just wanted to equip the body. We wanted to make sure that you are fed well and equipped well to understand what we are pursuing, and we want to kind of give some low-hanging fruit, some easy-to-digest direction over how to grow in your uh, prayer and your experience joy through fasting. Right, so we may continue to grow in these people of fasting. Here, here's the here's the thing, family. Easter's coming. I don't want us to drop becoming a people of prayer after Easter. Like we chased it really hard through Lent, and then we got tired and we quit. No, fasting is a great thing to probably help us continue this. We want to be a people of fasting and a people of prayer, not a people who prayed for a couple months. Right? We want to seek renewal and revival together in our church and hopefully in our city and other places beyond. We'll take communion today. And I open, you don't have to be a member here to take, just your faith uh, just needs to be in the Lord. Garrett and Harrison, you guys can come back up. First Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We want to continue to see, church, that the only reason that we can come to the Father in prayer and the only reason that we can even experience gifts in fasting is because of what the Lord Jesus has done. It is his body and his blood broken and shed for us that brings us into the family of God and draws us in and draws us close. It is all him. And he is how we access the benefits of the Lord. He is how we walk in the family of God. So uh, we're, we're going to take some moments today in the last three songs you can come up and take. But my hope is that your heart would be encouraged that there's a sacrifice for you. If you felt distant and, and, and dirty and, and it's been hard for you, understand that the, the body and blood of Jesus is there for you. Would you be encouraged by that? As we keep pressing into uh, prayer, uh, Blake is in the, in the back today. One of the things that we've been wanting to do is to continue to have time to pray with you and for you. Uh, we did that in our prayer meeting uh, last Sunday night. We had an extended time of prayer. We actually were able to put hands on people and pray for needs as they came. Uh, so if you're struggling, if you want prayer, uh, maybe you're not struggling, maybe you just want someone to pray with you over something and there's something on your mind and you would like one of the elders to pray with you, uh, Blake will be back there. So I want to kind of keep encouraging you. Uh, you don't have to just pray alone. Uh, we also want to pray with you as well. So he'll be back there and we would love to pray with you. Friends, man, I, I, I hope that we grow in our prayer. And my hope is that some of you will experience some profound joy in fasting to where you kind of do it and go, oh my goodness, like I had no idea. What a beautiful gift that is. And, and we can kind of lavish in the good gifts of our God. Will you stand? Would you pray with me?